You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good morning, Third Cup of Coffee podcast nation. Welcome to day two of the Kansas City 30-Day Lockdown Challenge as we try and get ahead of the curve on this virus or flatten the curve or round the curve. I'm, I'm, I'm confused what we're doing with the curve, but whatever we're doing, we are hiding in our homes. That's not true. We're not exactly hiding in our homes, but we're just not going anywhere extra. Here in Kansas City, they've told us uh, 30 days in our homes with uh, the option to go and get groceries or gasoline or medical procedures or dry cleaning. I'm not kidding. That's on the official order, dry cleaning. I don't get it, um, but apparently it's very important that your uh, khaki slacks be pressed impeccably uh, as you sit around the house and look at one another. I'm not quite sure. Um, I am learning that in the podcast world, I'm doing something wrong. I'm probably doing a lot of things wrong. One thing is I talk a lot about what's going on that day which I understand now is bad form for podcast. Usually I get on and I say, welcome, uh, happy Wednesday, and nobody listens on Wednesday. And that's terrible, terrible podcast form. It reminds you that what you're listening to is recorded as if, I don't know, you think it's live or, or whatnot. But of course it's recorded. I'm, I'm discovering that in some respects, I'm probably better cut out for radio than I am podcasting. But here we have our podcasting from my studio, again, which is our bedroom closet, uh, although the the whole apparatus gets more and more complicated every week. I add a little bit of uh, this piece of wire, this bracket, whatnot, and um, I don't think it makes the experience any better. I think all it does is uh, make it more possible that I'm going to break something. For instance, this is the third time I've started the podcast this morning because every time I want to fade the music out, I hit the wrong button. So I've made it past that portion of the podcast and I'm super excited, super excited. Hope you're doing well, uh, really. Hope that uh, you guys are hunkered down, have everything you need, um, that you're maintaining significant social distance from everybody that you need to, and uh, that you're holding everybody close that you need to, because these are they're kind of scary times for everybody. I see it on my kids. Um, I see it in the faces of people. And uh, we want to just make sure we take care of one another. One thing that we've been doing at our house is at 10 a.m., and at 7 p.m., we just have been having a little connect time with some friends on Zoom. And sometimes there's seven or eight of us. Some of the times there's a dozen of us. And we just talk about our day, how we felt, what we thought about, um, what we were scared of, pray together, have communion together in the evenings. It's really, really been rich, been encouraging. Uh, I uh, kind of referred to the evening, the 7 o'clock session, as the evening vespers. And I, I kind of looked into that realized that the word vespers actually means evening. So what I'm calling it is evening, evening, which makes no sense whatsoever, but people are patient and they're kind and they, they forgive me of a lot more than that. But we found this rhythm of life and it's helpful. Uh, it marks time because we lose track of time in these days when we don't know where we're coming or going. We, we begin to forget uh, what day it is and what time of the day it is and why am I in my pajamas and it looks like the sun is going down. Uh, we lose track of time so much that I took the trash out the day before yesterday and realized that uh, trash day is tomorrow. So my, my trash has been out there two days early. And this, uh, this Vespers and this meeting for coffee in the morning with friends on Skype just kind of helps 
keep track of that time. It hasn't totally kicked in yet, but we're working on it. We've also been fasting and been fasting with some friends before this all became a prominent issue and have been meeting together once a week to just talk about it and pray and have a little time of teaching. And um, it's been good. It's just easier to go through things together than it is apart. And and if you were listening to this and you feel just a little bit isolated, let me encourage you, pick up the phone, reach out, text somebody, call somebody. It is so easy to get stuck in the rut of wishing someone would call or wishing someone would text and forgetting that your phone works both ways and you can be the one to reach out. And you think, well, maybe it'd be a little bit odd that I reached out. They may be sitting there wishing you would reach out. So please do that. It makes a difference in other people's lives. I want to dive into something I shared with our fasting group on Sunday um, regarding what this season is for in our lives. Here we are. We're all kind of locked in. We're all shut down. We're all doing less. We're all worrying more. We are all thinking more about our internal lives and uh, about value and about a lot of things that maybe we didn't think of when we were going 900 miles an hour. And so I want to read a couple of different passages of Scripture, and, and I'll try and get through them uh, briefly here. But Matthew 13, 3 through 8 says, And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky soil, where they did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, that last sentence is not just a verbal flourish. It's not just uh, Jesus getting to the end of a paragraph and saying, you know what I'm saying. Like, that's not what that was. He's very intentional here. He who has ears, let him hear. In other words, not everybody's going to tune into this. I'm speaking here, but not everybody's going to catch it. This is for those who have intentionally tuned their ear to God. Let me just encourage you, in the midst of this crisis and managing your homes, do not forget to tune your ear. When you're reading the Word, when you're studying uh, in other books, have an ear to what God is saying to you. Don't be content to wait for Him to speak to somebody else and let Him tell you. He can speak to you directly. There's a passage in Hosea that has been speaking directly to me. Now, just for context here, Hosea lived in the final days of the northern kingdom, or rather the final years, where in his lifetime, things went from good to bad to terrible. In the last 25 years of the northern kingdom, they had six kings. Four of those were murdered by their successors, quite the transition plan. One was captured in battle. Only one was followed by his son, and I'm not positive, but I think that son was quickly murdered. It was a tumultuous time where God described the leadership succession of the northern kingdom this way. In Amos 13.11, he said, I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. So there's this constant churning at the leadership level. And during this downturn from good to bad to worse, Hosea prophesied. Now, if you're unfamiliar with how Hosea is laid out, the thing he is known most prominently for 
is only part of the book. First three chapters of the story are his marriage to an unfaithful woman. And it is such a horrifying, painful story that when people think of Hosea, that's all they think about. But chapters 4 to 14 is a discourse on the kingdom's engagement with false religion of neighboring kingdoms, the ways that they had kind of acclimated to the culture around them. Over time, they had lost their distinctives by adopting the norms of those around them. So the people of God, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, the historical church, the present-day church— We rarely make a conscious effort to walk into idolatry. It's not like we wake up one morning and look at our wives and say, you know, we should try idolatry. No, no, we don't do that. We just do what people have done before us for generations, which we acclimate to the cultural norms around us. And we've seen this in our own lifetimes. I don't even have to mention specifics. You have an idea of the things that have been adopted and welcomed into the church that wouldn't have been welcomed before because we just acclimated. That's what happened here, and Hosea addressed it in in chapter 10. This verse, chapter 10, verse 12, is one that really gripped my heart this week. Again, he is prophesying to a people of God who look more like their ungodly neighbors than children of God. You know, when it's hard to tell the difference between God's people and those who don't know him, when there's no fruit being produced in our lives, this is a really applicable word. Hosea 10, chapter 12. Sow for yourself righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. I think it's so interesting there that it says that we reap from the Lord what we sow for ourselves. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Everywhere we go, every conversation we have, every inner dialogue we have with the Holy Spirit, or just how we lift our voice, we are sowing We're sowing discord, or we're sowing peace, we're sowing falsehood, we're sowing truth, we're sowing harshness, or we're sowing kindness. But we are sowing. And if you're like me, you're realizing you've already done some sowing this morning in your family. For some reason, we tend to detach what we are sowing from what we expect to reap. We sow discord or falsehood or harshness, and then we're shocked to find a world or a family that is disrupted or untruthful or harsh. Matthew 12, 36 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. Those things come back to haunt us. Now, fortunately, it works both ways. Proverbs eight twenty one says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits, and you can actually speak life and prophesy good into your family and see results. So again, Hosea says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, that he may come and rain righteousness on you. He brings an increase of blessing, but it's tied in some measure to what we chose to sow. I believe these 30 days where many of us are locked down or wherever you are in the country, maybe it's different, maybe it's even more intense where you are, these days will bring an accelerated return on what we sow. This is an intense growth environment. Close quarters, intense emotions, feelings of isolation, and being on top of the same people for an extended period of time. This is a greenhouse. This is a petri dish. And in this season where everything that we sow bears fruit, good or bad, so quickly, 
We want to pay attention to the middle part of that verse where he tells us, break up fallow ground. Break up fallow ground in our hearts. Now, there are very few original ideas. They just really are. I always tease my musician friends. They're allowed to play a song that somebody else played. It's called a cover or a tribute. But a preacher can't do that. That's called plagiarism when a preacher does that. But we find that long before Hosea said this, Jeremiah said it. Jeremiah 4.3, For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Now, if you didn't grow up around agriculture, agriculture looks really passive. Even if instinctively you know that it's hard work, you don't understand that it's complicated work. Most people think the farmer goes out to plant in the spring, plants stuff, waits till it grows, harvests it, saves some of it for next year, sells the rest, and has the winter off. It sounds sounds simple. Of course, nothing is that simple. It's incredibly strategic. It's actually pretty complicated. I ran across a box of papers last week in our garage that had been saved from my family's things, and it was my grandfather's farming records from the late 1930s. So I'm looking at papers that are 80 and 90 years old. And even then, the government was involved with who planted what, where, and how much they were allowed to plant. And part of the reason was to force farmers to practice something called summer fallow, or letting the ground rest for a year so you didn't drain it of all the nutrients. Now, I I say that to say this. Fallow ground in itself is not bad. It's actually strategic. There are areas you don't plant every year so you can produce more. There are areas of your life that are the same. You are not Superman or Superwoman. Sometimes things need to rest. You cannot be productive at 100% all of your days. But that fallow ground, those resting areas that you are not working, are dangerous. It's the reason we are warned in the Bible about idleness. Not because we can be 100% active, but because those areas of idleness are areas of weakness for us at times. And the danger of rest or putting things aside is when you do, weeds can get out of control. So as a farmer, you take a very expensive tractor, fill it with expensive diesel fuel, and you pull an expensive cultivator. It takes work and it takes effort and it uh, it costs value. And you cultivate over that ground that you're not utilizing and it's not producing, but you're doing it so when the time comes for it to produce, it will. You break up your fallow ground and you keep those areas of your life tender so that the word can go down deep and can produce 30, 60, or 100 fold. Now, another thing we did on fallow ground was we would pick rocks. Now, it's not done everywhere, uh, but in North Dakota, the, the rapid freezing and thawing and freezing and thawing means that rocks come to the surface. Small ones, grapefruit-sized ones, sometimes boulders. My father uh, farmed the same ground for 30 years when suddenly he hooked a rock with a cultivator, and when we began to dig it out, we realized it was the size of a Volkswagen. He had farmed over that and over it and over it, didn't even know it was there. Let me tell you about the fallow ground of your heart. There is stuff below the surface that you don't even know is there. And our lack of acknowledgement or lack of even knowing it doesn't mean that it's not real and doesn't mean that it won't come to the surface and affect you if you don't ask God to help reveal it. Breaking up fallow ground in our hearts is to allow the Lord to examine every part of our heart, even the things that we put aside and dealt with, to root out bitterness or sin or issues that hold us back so that we can produce fruit. 
One of my favorite characters in American church history is Charles Finney. He was a Presbyterian minister and leader in the Second Great Awakening. He was the, one of the first guys really to utilize an altar call, as many of us know them. But he was intense about it. If you wanted to respond to conviction of the Holy Spirit, he would ask you to wait. And he would tell you next Sunday, sit in the worrier's bench. It was a bench, it's the best name in the world. There's a bench in the front of the church, and it was for those that were worried about being guilty of eternal damnation. And you would sit there until he would offer an altar call. Sounds a little different from how we know how that we do it. But had there been no Charles Finney, it's likely there would have been no Billy Graham. He was a reformer. He pushed for the abolition of slavery. He was a he brew, broke incredible ground. And he said this about breaking up fallow ground. Charles Finney said, to break up the fallow ground is to break up your hearts and prepare your minds to bring forth fruit in God. No preparation of fallow ground, no fruit in the next season. If we're not taking these 30 days to ask him to examine our hearts, setting ourselves aside and asking, Lord, what is below the surface that we didn't even know was there? Let it come to the surface and letting him root it out. If we don't do that, there will be no fruit in this 30 days or after. During this lockdown time, God is breaking up unbelievers' ground, whether they were ready for it or not. He's He is tearing loose all of the supports and uh, tilling their ground, and they are going to become more and more tender and open to the Holy Spirit. But as a believer, we're told to break up our own, to cultivate our own fields of our heart and ask him to help us with it. Matthew 13, 18 to 23, going back to the original story we were talking about. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and ultimately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but while he endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. You want to see fruit in this season? Break up the fallow ground in your life. Ask God where the weeds are. And if you can't see any of those weeds, if you're brave enough, ask your family. I hear a lot of people say, you know, this is going to be the church's finest hour. And I agree, providing we produce fruit. But we can only produce fruit on ground that we have chosen to break up. So use this season. Don't forget. Ask him over and over again. Lord, where are the parts of my life where things are hidden, where things are rocky, where I have yet to let your word go down deep and change me because I want to bear fruit. I don't want to lock myself in my house for 30 days and come out 30 days older and no more fruitful. Hope you have a great day. Take care of one another. God bless. I'm happy to be in the truth And I will daily lift my hands For I will always sing of when your love came down